2 Samuel, 6th chapter. Last week we talked about David bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. And we touched on a couple things there, but I'll come back and bring something a little more in depth. And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines and sistrums, and on cymbals. In other words, they had a myelin in their company. <laughs> and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. We talked about that last week. There's always potholes aligned in the road of our pathway as we're headed towards our destiny. Who can say amen to that? Number seven, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. In other words, it kept the reputation. This is where Uzzah was broke in upon by God. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Are you hearing his heart? He's upset. He's angry. It didn't go the way he thought it would go. But his heart is still saying, how can the ark of God come to me? David's in this situation. How can the, how can the Lord come to me? And he's, he's in this moment and he's frustrated. Let me just say, sometimes when you, the plan that you think God has for you gets frustrated, that is no time to give up on what God is doing. Oftentimes, people would have gave up there. They would have never tried to bring the ark in because they don't know what they're doing. David said, you know what? I'm just going to put this whole thing on hold until I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. All right, so David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told to King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all things belong to him because of the ark of God. In other words, the blessing of God is overtaking Obed-Edom and his house. So David went up and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. In other words, when he got that news, he said, it's time. It is time to bring God's presence home. Verse 13. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in a place in the midst of the tabernacle of David that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And I'll stop there, but he goes on and he shares with everyone the victory of being able to bring the presence of the Lord in. David didn't hog that experience to try to build his name. He shared that experience with everyone 
who was involved, even those who maybe didn't play an active role, but just were there to rejoice when the presence of the Lord came into the city. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. I ask, Lord, that you would help me. We got a, a, a short amount of time, Father, and a long way to go. But, Father, I just pray that you'll redeem the time and help me, Father, to share what the Lord has laid upon my heart. We'll give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we talked about the posture of a king. And when you're approaching the presence of God, this is what we established last week. If you're approaching the presence of God, and remember, we're all what? Kings and priests, right? And David was the first king priest. Saul was not a king priest. Saul was a king because Saul didn't have the experience nor the desire to go after the things of God that David had from his youth up. And so in God's eyes, David was a worthy person to wear the linen ephod. He was a worthy person to, to, to bring into the fullness of the covenant of priesthood because of the attitude of his heart towards God. Saul, on the other hand, did not have that same attitude. So Saul was a king, and Saul, most of you know, the only prerequisite for Saul being the king was that he stood head and shoulders above everybody else. He was tall. But the tall man is also the man that we saw at the slaying of Goliath that sat back in fear. When the little ruddy-faced kid came in to the camp, shook off his armor because he couldn't wear the armor that the king had, and just went out prepared with the one and only weapon God had given him, and that was a rock and a, and a rag. And so he done mighty exploits because his heart was attached to God. Everyone else in the camp stood in fear, but when David came into the camp, he said, who is this loud mouth that's cursing our God? Mm. So last week we talked about the posture of a king when approaching the presence of God. And here's what we established. When David approached the presence of God, he took the stance of humility. When we come into the presence of God, we should humble ourselves. By the way, Tracy... Wonderful job Thursday night. Thank you. We should come in humility. Look at your neighbor and say, I told you to get humble. <laughs> the second thing we established is that you've got to strip away all pride. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a pauper. In the presence of God, we're all one. In the presence of God, there is no stature. In the presence of God, there's only one stature, and that is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, the Ancient of days. Oh, don't get me started on his name. Mm -hmm. He's the only one who has a reputation. You don't have one. You don't have one. And then the next thing we establish is the all-out, whatever-it-takes posture of the heart. When we come into the presence of God and we humble ourselves, regardless of our title and our place in life, we must approach the throne with pure humility. We must strip ourselves from all pride, and then we must take on the posture of heart. God, whatever it takes, that's what I'm willing to do. Whatever it takes for me to get in touch with you, that's what I'm willing to do. If I must lay on my face for a long time until my nose is flat, can you tell I've done it? Then that's what I'll do. If I got to skip some meals, God, whatever it takes, I just want to be in your presence. I want to be where you are. How many of that is your heart's cry? The next thing we establish is the willingness not to care what others think. McCall despised David dancing into the city. She despised the fact that he's dressed like a priest, probably covered in blood, 
and he's dancing and twirling and spinning and magnifying God and giving his all. And I just want you to know, to some people that is foreign and strange and weird and they'll never understand you and they'll only ridicule you. But to those of you who've ever had just a moment in the presence of a king, you don't care what anybody thinks. You're just gonna, you're just gonna do whatever it is that brings God's presence close to you. The Lord has asked me to dance in some of the most inopportune places. Crazy places. Every time I enter a land deal, guess what God asks me to do? I did it here. I stood right out there in the front parking lot. Worshiping God, all the cars driving by. But I didn't care because I want God. <clears throat> the disassociation with those who will not enter extravagant worship is the next posture of the heart that we established. McCall refused to enter, so David said, don't expect any more favor in this life. I'm disassociating from you. I'm not going to give you favor or look upon you favorably anymore because you don't have a heart after the heart of God. And the word says that all the days of her life, she never was able to bear children. Why? Because David was her husband and David wouldn't go in with her. Boom. All right. And then the last thing I want to share that we learned last week was this. The willingness to be undignified before the world. I want the presence of God. I don't care what anyone thinks. I love you. And I know, I know that some people are just strange to be strange, okay? I'm not talking about being strange. I'm just talking about when I'm caught up in that moment, I don't care. I love you, but I may look foolish. It's okay. I don't care. I don't care. And you may go home and say, didn't pastor look like an idiot today? That's okay. That's okay. I don't care. It's not that I don't care about you. It's just that I don't care about that because... This is what it takes for me to get into the presence of the king. This is what it takes. And he's worth whatever undignified thing he wants from me. Do you think Jesus didn't do undignified things? Okay, you need a healing? <laughs> that ain't too dignified. Huh? What? You're hungry? Well, let's just break some fish. He did things that were undignified. Why? Because he knew what was important. Whatever's on the master's heart, that's what's important, even if it makes me look silly. So <clears throat> when you pull down your rights to the dignity of your office to worship God as if no one else is near, you release the victory of true worship. Is this okay? When you pull down your rights to the dignity of your office, if you're the worship leader, but you just got to lay your guitar down and magnify him, when you do that, you release true worship. When you're the piano player and you can't sing without crying, you're releasing true worship. When you're the drummer and you drum so fast they can't even count how fast your feet are going, you're releasing true worship. If you're the associate pastor and you, you just don't care, when the Lord says jump and deal with something, you jump and deal with it. Come on. You don't care what anybody else thinks. You're only concerned with what the master wants from you. There are times in the body of Christ, come on, let's just be honest. There are times, especially in a Pentecostal church, a charismatic church, a word of faith church, that we look like breakfast cereal. 
fruits and nuts and flakes. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. There are moments. And, and I'm not saying that to be ugly, but they're just moments because God will ask for us to do something odd, different, or strange. Do you think it was strange that David, once he figured out how to get the presence of God, I think he went overboard. Every six steps, he was making a sacrifice. Every six steps, he was giving his all. He was dancing. He was dancing so I, I don't know how he danced like that without getting a side ache. But he danced into the city, and he didn't care. And guess what? The average person that McCall was worried about, she was worried about how the king looked coming in like that in such a vile, undignified display of worship. She was worried what the people thought. But you know what the problem was? Is the people thought it was awesome. They were going, go, David, go. Go, David, go. Go, David, go. Go, David, go. You are the king. You're the king we've been waiting for. Go, David, go. You brought back the presence of God. Everybody was gathered. Everybody was there for the party except McCall. She could not humble herself for the moment. Had she humbled herself for that moment and joined the crowd, the, pros the posterity of her days would have been far different than her outcome. Is this too hard? Is he not worthy of you becoming completely undignified in the eyes of onlookers? David taught Israel the power and importance of God and how to honor his presence and how to loose your heart and act childlike in his presence. Oftentimes after we get our kids raised, you know, we get a little older, we get adult thinking, we forget that it's okay to still be a kid. If you want to see me be a kid, just, just set me in the seat of something that's got a little rumble under the hood. You'll see a kid. You'll see a kid. Or let my grandbabies be playing with Hot Wheels in the floor. You'll see a kid. You'll see a kid. It's important for us to understand we're his children. He gets pleasure out of me playing in his presence. He gets pleasure. He's exalted when I give him my all. Now, we don't all worship the same or act the same, and God does not require the same thing from us all. But if he lays it on your heart, do not resist. Yeah. Give him what God wants from you. Is this okay? Yes. He is your father. He is the reason you exist. He breathed life into you. He Without him, you, you wouldn't even exist. So why is it so hard to block out everyone else so that you can worship him? Think about that. Now let me establish for you what made David such a great king and why it's the star of David that flies over Israel, not the star of Saul. Are you ready? Number one. This is what makes David such a great king, his courage to face danger. Wasn't afraid to face danger for God. Wasn't afraid to, to face danger for his faith. Wasn't afraid to stand up and make his presence known while everyone else was trembling behind the lines. He says, no, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to face this danger head on. I'm going to let the devil know who God is. I'm going to let the devil know I ain't afraid. Live or die, I'm here, I'm all in, I'm giving God everything. That's a man you can follow. The second thing that I found that I think makes David such a great king is his unwillingness to compromise with fear. Everyone else was afraid, but David wasn't. And all the days of David's life, he never feared. Now, he played a few tricks throughout his days, 
David's one of the greatest characters in the Word of God, in my opinion. You know, he, he, he acted like a crazy man in the presence of his enemies one time to keep them from attacking him. He's all foaming at the mouth and acting all like an idiot and everything. And it protected his life. But he went right into the, into the camp of the enemy. He was never afraid to go into danger. The other thing that I think was really powerful about David was his willingness to lay his dignity aside. He's the king. Kings are dignitaries, people of pomp and circumstance, people that we lift and exalt. And yet David was, had no problem humbling himself and laying that dignity of his office aside. His ability to draw a line and to fight for what is right made him a great king. His willingness to assemble a team in all things. When he went after the presence of God, he, he, he established an army. An army of armed men went first. They messed up. So the second time he came back with the worshipers. He established an army, he established the worshipers, and he established the servants in the kingdom that day when the presence of God came through the gates. He shared his victories with those who followed him. Remember the bread and the raisin cakes? He shared victory. This made him a king of the people. He didn't make himself so exalted above the people, he couldn't relate to the people. He says, I remember where I came from. And if I get a victory, you get a victory. If my name gets lifted up, Israel gets lifted up. That's a great king. Would you agree with that? He related to those under his leadership. He understood that a leader follows. He understood what it meant to be righteous when no one else is looking. Let that sink in for a second. He understood what it means to be righteous when no one else is looking. While he was a shepherd boy on the backside of a field somewhere, he was serving God, magnifying God, glorifying God, killing bears, killing lions, protecting the flock. He had a natural instinct to protect the things that belong to God. He understood what it means to be righteous when everyone else is looking. He understood. He learned from the ox cart experience that there's a right way and a wrong way to handle the presence of God. And he messed up the first go-round. And when he messed up, he owned the fact that he messed up. And he stopped everything in its tracks so that he could go back and study the Word of God and understand how is it that I can get the presence of God to come with me. How can I bring God's presence where I'm at? How can I get God from where he is to where he needs to be in his place, in proper order, established where he can be worshipped? How do I get his presence? He was teachable. He was teachable. He was teachable. Sometimes when we get a title, we, we think nobody can tell us anything. Huh? Come on. I've been serving the Lord for 50 years. Bless God. What can I possibly learn from a baby Christian? A whole lot. Because you're probably so pompous now, you don't even know how to get in the presence of the Lord. So never, never, never become unteachable. There's always something to learn. Look at your neighbor and say, I told you. So when the Lord sends you a leader, don't become arrogant about what you know or who you have served in the past. I'm getting down to where we are. When the Lord sends you to a leader, 
Don't become. Okay, I'll say the whole thing. When the Lord sends you to a leader, don't become arrogant about. See, we so, t- so often want to bring all we know from the past with us. Now, I didn't say, I didn't say don't acknowledge what you know. I'm saying don't lean heavily on that because you're in a different experience under a different leader going in a different direction. And for where you are right now, lay down your agenda and follow God. You can testify to that. Mm. The biggest mistake I see in ministry are people who suddenly know more than the leadership does. They don't take in consideration that God has placed that leadership there. Huh? Saul, David, David kept his heart right the whole time that Saul was upset with him. That is commendable because he wasn't about to try to make something happen or get ahead of the presence of God or try to think he knew more than the king. He put himself still under subjugation to the king. He just had to flee from him because he was trying to kill him. That takes character, and that kind of character is the kind of character that God promotes. Is this okay? Mm. Because people make this mistake of thinking they know more than the leader. Because of their lack of humility, they begin to see themselves as smarter than the leaders in their life. Is this too much? Soon their disgruntled hearts begin to fault find, especially if they are not recognized or promoted to a place of prominence quick enough. <laughs> it's a tough match. Y'all are like, what is wrong with Pastor? What'd they give him in that surgery? Mm. And tearing down simply because they don't understand where you was was wonderful and what you learned was powerful, but now you're here and God's going to do something different here than he did there. Oh, my goodness. Mm. They often refer back to the leaders they respected in the past and want the current ministry that they now serve to change or adapt to what they know and have little regard for the revelation of the house or its leaders. Goodness, I didn't have no idea what the Holy Ghost was doing to me. They just want it their way. Just want it my way. Recognize me. Make me something. Give me a title. Can I tell you what a title's worth? Because <laughs> when you wake up in the morning, yesterday, I'm just going to use your name, Steve, if that's okay. Yesterday, you were Steve. Today, you're Steve with a title. <laughs> There's no difference. You're still doing the same thing. Your heart's still the same. You're still the same person. If you get hung up in that title, it's going to cause you a problem. If that's you, repent. Is this too hard? I'm almost done after another few pages. Now, if that's you, then you need to repent. Because if you hold on to that position, you will stunt your forward progress in the kingdom until your heart repents. My wife just keeps saying, if you hold on to the position, you will stunt your forward progress in the kingdom until your heart repents. This is why David was able in the wilderness to build armies. He, do you know he took out enemies? He took out nations. But he wasn't even a king. He was anointed by God. God recognized him as a king. But the world yet did not recognize him as a king because that position hadn't been vacated for him to step into. But he kept his heart right in the middle of it all. And God was able to promote him during those times. This is what made King David someone in the Old Testament for us to look up to. Now, he made some monumental mistakes. 
can I just share with you, whatever God's got you doing, you're going to make a couple of monumental mistakes. But the beauty is, is if your heart stays right, God can cover a multitude of mistakes. Oh, this is preaching and I'm feeling it. I got to finish. David couldn't usher in the presence of God for a season. How many understand your life comes and you have ebbs and flows and seasons in your life? And there was a season that David couldn't get the presence of God the way he wanted him. His spirit remained right, even though he made a monumental mistake of mishandling the presence of God that ended in someone's death. I told you last week, and I'll, I'll reiterate it, it's very dangerous to misappropriate the presence of God. It can bring death. Now, I don't want anyone to get fearful about serving God. We're under grace. Don't get fearful. All I'm saying is we don't want to be weird and goofy just for weird and goofy's sake. But if the Lord says dance, if the Lord says spit, make sure it's the Lord. I've seen an awful lot of people standing in a line where the speaker looks pretty stupid because he spit in someone's eyes and they didn't get healed. Huh? If God didn't say it, don't you dare do it. I'm getting off track. I got to get back with it. David's, even though he couldn't usher in the presence of God for a season, his spirit remained right. He wanted God. His approach was partially right because the first time, you know, he came with the army. He came with the army, but he had an ox cart. He saw the Philistines use the ox cart. So he just assumed he could transport the presence of God the way the Philistines had sent it away from them. It was a new ox cart. Come on. He brought an army and some worshipers, and they started on their journey, and it was pretty good in the beginning. But every time you're headed towards your destiny, there's going to be a chug hole, a pothole in the road. Uzzah wasn't trying to be ugly. Uzzah was just trying to help. As I established last week, the one thing God doesn't need is for human help. He's God all by himself. He doesn't need me to touch his glory. If I touch his glory, certain death is coming for me or those who are underneath my leadership. David was upset about the whole thing. Who David should have been upset with and probably was, was himself. He was upset with God at first because that's knee-jerk reaction. But I guarantee you he went home and said, David, you stupid. What did you do wrong? What did you do wrong, David? Here was David's problem. David had the spirit. I'm going to get the presence of God. I'm going to dance before the king. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to, I'm going to bring the presence. He had the spirit. But he lacked the order of God. He had the spirit, but he had the order wrong. That's why the word says that all things should be done decently and in order. Is this okay? I'm almost through, I promise. He lacked order. His heart was right. His spirit was right, but he lacked order. I'm just going to throw this out. I'm going to meddle. This is why churches get horrible reputations. Because we, we're all about the Spirit, but we lack the order of God. Pentecostal churches get that, you know, flake, fruit, stigma, because we're doing it solely out of Spirit. Woo! Oh! 
Oh, untie my silly bow tie. And we think if you don't shimmy and shake. Now listen. When God's in it, people shimmy and shake. They don't need no help. God don't need your help. He don't need me to shake your chin and go, oh, you can speak in tongues if I do this to you. Is that too, how am I getting too silly? I, I, I'm just, I just want you to, this is what's hurt the church. Yeah, use, use Zeke from now on as an example. She's like, I got makeup, you're messing me up. But this is what makes us look silly to the world because they've not had that supernatural experience, and until they do, they're not going to understand, and that's okay. But when we try to force it, it gets out of order. It's like trying to present God to them on an ox cart. And they're like, well, what good is this? What good is this? And the reason we get that way and we get out of order is simply because we, wanna, we want the presence of God to go where we go. Not the presence of God goes before us into the place of his proper order, into his. See, this is where David messed it up. He wanted God to come along so people could shout, look at King David. He had to get home and get it right. He lacked order. But there is an orderly way to handle the presence of God. Without proper order, you are playing a dangerous game. Zeal and desire make for great intimacy. But order puts God where he belongs. And where does God belong? Exalted upon the shoulders of the priest, not drug along in an ox cart. God doesn't follow my agenda. I get underneath his and walk with him. I don't drag God along with me on an ox cart. No, I put my shoulder. I put my shoulder to the support of God. Let's do it God's way. Let's do it his way. I've got to hurry. Mm. A king is to be carried by his subjects in a place of honor. Not drug along into the places you want to go. And, the, uh, and to expect him to perform for you. God's order as we get into his agenda, follow him. If we try to pull him around and use him for our purposes, we only set someone else up for a major royal disappointment that could kill their spirituality forever. Does this sound too serious? We should carry the king where he belongs. Who are we anyway? God didn't care that David, the king, came to bring his presence back. Let me say that again. God didn't care that, that David, the king, came to bring his presence back. What he was concerned with was the order in which his presence was ushered in. This ought to make you nervous. This is just my second page of notes. Anytime there's a pothole or a place to stumble in the My Kingdom journey, there's always a Uzzah who tries to add human reasoning to the purpose of God, and it brings death because man, until the translation of this life, is cursed. Have you, yes, I am free from the curse of the law through grace in Jesus Christ, but I still live in this damnable flesh that's subjugated to fall into the grave. 
And God doesn't need my humanity to try to help his agenda. He doesn't need me to interpret my way and carry ministry my way and add his name to it. He needs for me to get in my proper place and lift him up so that he can receive the glory. God will not share his glory with a man. Is this too hard? You make it to completion in Christ alone. You can't add to what he has done. You simply take his order and try to apply it to the best of your ability. This is why I'm going to say some things that's going to upset folks. I don't care. This is why you've got to be careful of the books you read. Who you're upholding. Because sometimes it may have some good godly principle, but oftentimes people put their own thoughts and their own... And can I just be honest with you? If it doesn't, if it doesn't rebuild and reestablish the authority of the word, you may be looking at Anusa when you read that book. I've, I'm all for book study. You know that. But I'm also for order. And we're about to launch into revival. And if ever Passion Church needs order, we need it now. Because we're about to fill that other side of that building up. We're about to explode in this place. We're about to fill this parking lot like never before. But the order must come. I know everybody's tired and want to be done. Blame it on Pastor Colleen. She just stole my first 20 minutes. So we've established that we make it in completion in Christ alone. God uses the order. God uses the order of the Israelites or that the Israelites chose at Mount Sinai. So here's, here's what I want to get to. God had a plan. Follow me. Come up the mountain to me. Everybody come to me individually. Everybody come to me, and I will give you what you need. But at Mount Sinai, the Israelites backed up from God's plan. He said, you scare us. Moses, you go talk to him. You know him. You're friends. You come back and tell us. We'll believe God uses that same order today because he gave the people the desire of their heart, and that is to have a delegated authority in their life. So God uses that order, God's delegated authority. You cannot successfully operate ministry in any other way. It's God's order. There are many great ministers, many great ministries, and many people who are launching into other things and there are, there are what we call parachurch ministries, which I don't like the term. Parachurch means outside of the church. And the word para is brought from the root word parasite. They suck the blood out of the church to do something for themselves. That's not the order of God. Every ministry that's established should be established under the order of the body of Christ, the church. Is this too hard? So I need to hurry. I knew this was going to be a while. You cannot successfully operate your ministry in any other way but God's order. When David went to study to show himself approved, he then returned to get God in the right and proper order. And God must be approached with spirit and order. Anything we create outside of order will be sure human silliness. If we have order without spirit, then we have religion. If all we do is, is get on the order, I know people who do that. I have friends and know people who are what, what, what they call those uh, apologists in the word. And some of those guys are so legalistic and so pharisaical that they stink. 
and they can't trust God in any way except keep things in order, 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 order. That's not the balance of God. The balance of God is relationship spirit. Then my word, order. Relationship, order. This is how God operates. Mm. So, if we have order without spirit, we get religion. But if we exalt God in order through a spirit of humility and extravagant desire to worship, we will build a memorial for the world to find. I'll just let you eat on that. If we don't, we will have what the church has always had. A man muddied, pompous, we are better than they mantra that keeps the world repelled. But what if today, Passion Church, we decided to go after God like David? What if today we establish both spirit and order? What if we all learn true humility? What if we learned how to put our agenda aside to become a part of a team that worships God in spirit and truth? What if we stopped chasing all of man's ideas of how to approach God? What if we put away all the books and focused on the one book that all others are written about. What if we fell in love with serving God and our brothers and our sisters? What if once we get a proper order, we have some place to invite our family and our friends to? What if we came with proper approach and God showed up like he did on the day Solomon dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles 7. When the Shekinah, overwhelming, tangible presence of God arrested everyone in the place. And the ministers could only lay on their face and cry out, he alone is God. David's greatest accomplishment in life was putting God in his proper place because when he finally made it back with the presence of God, it was better than any war victory he would ever win because this time he didn't just capture the heart of some man. He captured God. By submitting to God's way, he came into the city and his first act of worship was to put God in his proper place. And when he put God in his proper place, Immediately, David's mind started thinking about how do we lavish worship upon him? And he hired worshipers 24 hours a day, seven days a week to be in the presence of God, constantly letting him know there is no other God in Israel but you. There is no other God in Israel but you. You are the only God. You are the worthy God. You are the God that goes before us. You are the God that heals us. You are the God that establishes us. You are the God worthy of praise. You are the ancient of days. You are the great I am. You are our God. You are our personal Savior. You are. You are. You are, you are, you are. Mm. Think about that. Then David's heart started beating him up because David said, I live in a palace, but God's in a tent. And he started gathering riches and wealth 
to build God an extravagant place to be placed. He didn't get to see it. Solomon did. But I want to end with this, if you don't mind. 2 Corinthians 6.19 Know you not. Don't you know? Haven't you figured out? You are the temple of God. The proper resting place of God is you. You're it. I'm it. We're it. Together. God. If we work together as a team, forget so much about titles. Let's just work together as a team. Let's just do this thing together. Let's move together. Let's move as an army. Let's move together. Let's lift him up. Let's each of us keep him in that exalted place on our heart. Because if we keep him in that exalted place and we don't get all hung up in everything else around us, but keep him in the exalted place, everyone will benefit and we'll build a memorial this city has never seen the likes of. Thank you for your attentiveness. Father, we magnify you for your goodness. We magnify you for your grace. God, I thank you for these that have been so attentive today. And I know the building, the room is getting warm. God, I just ask, Father, help us to check our heart and make sure, Father, that we're not trying to establish some order that's not of God, something that's fashioned after man. God, we want it your way. We want you on our shoulders. We want the world to see you, not us. We want them to see the king coming, not the people who are bearing him up. We want the king to be recognized. We want the king's glory to expand and move and change. We want to keep you in proper place in our heart so that our neighbors can see you. Help me, Father, to worship as undignified as you need me to. Help me to forget about what anyone else says. And to put aside all the naysayers and to magnify you all the days of my life until the sounding of the trump. And help me, Father, to never make an Uzzah mistake. I don't want, Father, to ever touch your glory or try to add my reasoning to your truth. And if, if I'm doing it, Father, reveal it quickly that I would not cause harm. Help me to uphold you and your truth, your spirit and your order all the days of my life.